Your hour of Thrive Time begins now with your host, Jay Mamie, on the Jay Mamie Talk Show. The Jay Mamie Talk Show. Good morning, everyone, and welcome once again to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. This is Jay Mamie, and I am walking you through today your hour of Thrive Time. I am so thrilled that you are joining us today. I got to tell you something. Today's going to be a fantastic show. Many of you now have uh, reached out to me and have said to me that you really appreciate the consistency of the content that I continue to deliver, which is thrive-minded, innovative, very creative, in addition to bringing different people with different skill sets and different thought patterns and these amazing thought leaders with concepts and and really dynamic ways to look at life in, in ways that help uh, that can help you thrive. And uh, today's going to be no different, my friends. Today, we've got a dynamic show where three incredible people are featured guests is none other than the founder of Teladoc, Michael Gordon. We're going to speak with him in a few minutes. But I want you to know that your time today, that you're carving out to invest with us this hour of Thrive Time will yield tremendous dividends in your ability to thrive because today will be yet another way for you to acquire knowledge that can help you succeed and further along your life in an area where many of you I know are interested in. So hold on to your seat because we're going to have a great Thrive Time today. But those of you that are returning I want to thank you also for continuing to come back and visit our show. As I had mentioned uh, prior, our show continues to gain massive momentum week to week to week. So continue to share the links. Continue to let people know that we've got a great quality program here happening Sunday mornings at 10 or on the rebroadcast on all of my social media platforms. Let people know that they can find a great place that they can get quality content. And these days, I'm going to tell you something, my friends, based on what's going on out there, boy, that is in short supply, isn't it? Positive content, that's in short supply, but you can count on it happening every Sunday here on our show, The J. Mamie Talk Show. So make sure that you visit my show site, thejmamietalkshow.com. Hop on over to the archive section, binge here some of my prior episodes. We keep cranking them out week after week, developing and building and creating a dynamic library of information for you to enjoy daily as you are continuing your journey of life. And why, by the way, you while you're there, make sure that you have a look at my books. My Thrivology book is now become an official international bestseller. We're pushing hard for that same designation here in the U.S. And with your support, I'm sure we'll get there. Thrivology is a book that you need to have in your library of books. But also, you're going to find all of my goodies there uh, on my website, thejmamie.com. And with that being said, I want to launch our show right now with our first guest. Michael Gordon is not only a four-time serial entrepreneur who's created tens of billions of dollars in net worth from companies that he started, one of them being Teladoc. But he's one of the pioneers of telemedicine and digital health. And Gordon helped create what is becoming a trillion-dollar industry. Not only is he a bestseller of a handful of books, one of them broken handoff, that works with uh, and educates entrepreneurs and, and investors, his books have become Amazon top sellers, and for good reason. We're excited to have this genius with us today. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Well, I know you run a very busy schedule, and uh, so I taking time out to to really pour wisdom to my listening audience is something I appreciate. So thank you for taking a time out. Now, I promise you, we're going to pack 10 pounds of groceries in a two-pound bag in the next 20 or so minutes here. So I am double bagging it. <laughs> we're going to double bag it, Michael. So we're going to let it rip. But before we do that, I, I know there's, a, there's such a great history to you, and I've heard you speak oftentimes about having an adventurous spirit, and that's some of the things that we spoke about earlier in the show. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 13 years old, so I know all about that adventurous spirit. But to be an entrepreneur, let alone a serial one, which is what you are, that requires an adventurous spirit to the next level. I'd like to learn from you or hear from you when and how did you develop yours, and then who played a role in that, if anyone, uh, if anyone rather? Well, I think I was a little bit older than you, although, you know, I did have a newspaper route when I was a teenager. Hey, there you go. Just because like you, we were poor. Mm-hmm. I needed money. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I went to engineering school and then became an engineer for about 10 years. And somewhere in that path, I decided the world was not moving fast enough. So I left engineering for the super high risk, um, high reward world of entrepreneurism. I think that was um, back in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that you, you, you pointed out is early on, it's so obvious. I, I believe oftentimes uh, an entrepreneur reveals their character, they reveals their calling because they find some things to do out of necessity or out of inspiration. I think for you and I, we did it out of necessity and later on it became out of inspiration. Uh, but did anyone specifically play a role in your life that you mimicked, that you sort of saw them live this adventurous entrepreneurial spirit life that you said to yourself, well, I want to be like them? Um, actually, yes. But, you know, I was already on the entrepreneurial path when mm-hmm. I met a guy named Nathan Morton. And Nathan is well known in the retail circle because he was a store manager at a place called Target. There were just a few of them. And he created this idea to grow it to 200 stores. And it worked. And a bunch of articles got written about him. And so this guy who had a hardware store called him and said, hey, I've got this thing called Home Depot. Would you help me do that? And um, and so he did that again. And then and then and then he thought about this was the late 80s now. And he said, I need to build a computer store because there really aren't any. Mm. And so he started a thing called CompUSA that became a four billion dollar deal uh, when he sold it. And so Nathan was kind of my he's the one who first said to me, design the foundation of what you want to look like in 10 years. And start building it like that. Don't build a cabin, tear it down, build a bigger house, tear it down, build a bigger house. Figure out where you want to go and build a foundation now. That's brilliant. And a lot of that has to do with the vision to even know what it looks like, let alone the the blueprint to build it. I, I think you can have, uh, without the vision, it'll be very difficult to create the blueprint. And that's one of the things that I know, Mike, that, that you would agree that it's sort of one of these common denominators of adventurous entrepreneurial individuals uh, they've got an incredible amount to develop, incredible ability to develop a uh, vision. When others struggle to get a thought, they have full-length feature films. <laughs> yeah. I mean, would you agree to that? Yeah. Well, I, let me say this: There's a lot of people with great ideas. It is not great ideas that make great companies. It's great people, mm. and by great people, you have to start with a great idea. But you have to have people that it doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down and kicked in the teeth. You get back up, put a smile on, and go again. If you can't do that, you're probably not going to succeed. You know, Michael, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and uh, now our conversation today, because there's so much that we can chat about, is probably going to go 
all over the place. <laughs> but in, at the end of the day, probably, right? I mean, that's what happens when two creative people get together. It goes all over the place. Uh, but in the end, you find the, the silver lining in that conversation. But let's talk about something that, that I wanted to chat with you about uh, that I've heard you speak about often. I speak about this often. But I think it's a missing element that most people don't realize that to, be, uh, to reach that high level, you have to have success stamina. So in your vast experience, how would you define the concept of success stamina? Well, I, I think that you have to have, first of all, the vision, and then you have to have the never give up spirit. And so that's what I was saying is that the, the reality, everybody who's been successful, you know, there's a great story about uh, Thomas and Edison. How many times did he try to create the light bulb uh, before he actually created it? And it was like thousands. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you have to just keep going and going and going. And that's, you know, there's the word stamina. Uh, it's a marathon. It's not a run around the block. And I, and I love that. It's it's not a run around the block. That's that's. Just- that's actually the best way to put it. It's you're in it for the long haul. It's not a sprint. It's going to be a marathon. But let's back. Yeah. And there, uh, there, mm-hmm. there's actually another analogy that goes really well here. Every one of your listeners who's ever run a marathon, you can ask them, "What's the halfway point?" So a marathon is 26 miles, right? And um, most experienced runners will tell you not 13, which is half of 26. They'll tell you something around 18 to 24. And for me personally, it's probably like 22 miles. It's that last four miles that really that's that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. That's the part where, you know, you're just it's only what you have inside, not not your training, nothing else. It's just how much grit is in there. You know, one of the things that I, I'm, a, I'm having three kids, I'm always constantly trying to teach my kids about grit, stamina, and so on and so forth. And not just through an academic cerebral way, but more of an, of an actual physical way. I know you do the same. And I love the story you spoke about recently with your kids. You, you have your kids uh, travel the states and hit the highest points of these mountains. But for specific reason, I know you're, you're fostering in them a healthy, adventurous spirit. But what else are you trying to develop in them that as parents, we could all take a page from? Well, I don't, I don't know there's a perfect parent. I'm trying like everybody else mm-hmm. is. So, you know, I'll take any advice. But I, but I will tell you this, that, you know, you and I grew up with a phrase, no pain, no gain. Mm-hmm. And we always thought of it as, you know, the athletic, you know, run harder, lift more, do those kinds of things. And so what I did was I said, yeah, let's have the kids climb the highest point of elevation in all of the 50 states. And um, it, it, it became much more than I thought. My perspective on it was I want to put them in really tough situations where the, there's a summit ahead and they've got to figure out how to get there. And, and it's just what they've got inside. But the other thing that I didn't realize when I created the idea was it's, a, it's an adventure. And you're marrying these two together in this conversation this morning, you know, entrepreneurism and adventure. They go to hand, together hand in hand quite well. And so we've seen 42 of the states as a family, and, um, and, and we've gotten up some pretty difficult mountains. Some, you know, where I was dragging the kids, some where they were dragging me. Hmm. So success. You know, I like that. You're, you're absolutely right. We're sort of taking this, this play on adventure, uh, this adventurous lifestyle and entrepreneurial living. And you're right. There's there's overlapping there. So the last question before we go to break here, with any adventure, there's a measure of risk. Right. There's going to be a measure of risk with any adventure. But how should someone measure risk? 
And what is healthy and what's suitable risk in your opinion? Well, I think life or death is really difficult. People that have heard me talk before know that in the early days of Teladoc, the boards of medical examiners said, if I built the company, I was going to go to prison. That was a risk that I thought was worth taking Mm. because I didn't believe what I was doing should be illegal. And what I needed to do was convince people that it shouldn't be illegal. Um, But you know, there's a phrase that that I tell my kids all the time, and that is the brave, they don't live forever. But mm. the cautious, they hide in the closet. They don't live at all. That's an excellent phrase, Mike. And I want to share with you that that's a great place for us to go to break. And I want to pick up on the flip side of that, because metaphorically speaking, we as entrepreneurs, especially serial entrepreneurs, there's landmines along the way that sometimes blow us up. So when we come back after the break, I want to tackle that with your experience. And we'll do that after the break. This is Jay Mamie from the Jay Mamie Talk Show. I want to encourage all of you that are in sales, business owners, entrepreneurs to attend the upcoming Thrive Sales Mastery Workshop happening Friday, September 24th in Fort Worth. This is a free event designed to help you become better at the skills of selling at the mastery level. If you're struggling with your sales skills, if you're struggling with your results, this is the workshop to be at. SurviveToThriveGuide.com forward slash events. That's SurviveToThriveGuide.com forward slash events. You probably only think about insurance when you need it. But at Higginbotham, we have insurance specialists thinking about your risks and how to cover them year-round. We start with listening and end with a custom solution that fits your needs and budget. Whether it's for your home, car, health, business, or employees, Higginbotham has you covered. Higginbotham is a place that leads with values, so your value leads. Listen, could Gregory change your life? I went from size 44 pants back to the size 38 pants that I had worn uh, when I was in college. Now, the 38-inch pants fall off of me. I lost the weight. I felt better. I've lost 63 pounds and 6 inches of pant size. God bless you for having this product and having it at a reasonable price. Outstanding. Gregory is 70 and lost belly fat and six inches off his waist in five months. Since 2004, Andro 400 has been helping men like you lose belly fat, gain energy, and improve their lifestyle. We guarantee it. Go to andro400.com for more true testimonials, before and after photos, and special discounts. Only available on andro400.com. andro400.com. 5.70 a.m. KLIF. Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Having a fantastic conversation here with Michael Gordon. Michael, on our last segment, we left off with entrepreneurial landmines. You've had an experience that uh, really, a 10 lifetimes of experience as an entrepreneur, and you've dealt with entrepreneurs. What would you say are some of the an entrepreneurial landmines that you've seen blow up an entrepreneur and equally his dream? Entrepreneurs tend to be creative. And to some degree, you have to control that creativity. There's a really great Disney, I think it was Disney, called Up. And mm-hmm. in that movie was a dog that every time it saw a squirrel, it ran towards the squirrel. And entrepreneurs that don't succeed 
do that all the time. So mm-hmm. they see a great idea, they chase it. And then they see another one and they chase it. And, and five years later, they're back where they started. They've made no progress. You have to stay focused on one objective and get it done before you move on to the next one. That's a huge landmine. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more because even myself, I have found myself there where here comes a shiny new item, right? And we're chasing the shiny new item. And I have, I've have i had to put the pause button, hit the brakes and say, hey, now, wait a minute. How many things are you actually going to get involved in? Because if you dilute your time and your focus, you're not going to get anything done. So that is a powerful landmine. And I hope that our entrepreneurs are paying attention to that. But I want to pivot a little bit more into your area of expertise also, and that is in raising capital. When an entrepreneur is looking to raise capital, uh, they have to do a self-assessment, right? What would, and I mean a personal self-assessment, what would you say is a good self-assessment to take when they're assessing themselves and their offering as they're pursuing capital? Think of it as your checkbook. Think of it as a stranger that's coming up to you and saying, give me some money. Why would you do it? And I can tell you, a lot of entrepreneurs fall into the mindset of, I, I'm doing something great. This is going to be great someday. And, and they think that's going to raise money. Some entrepreneurs fall into the mindset of, you've got millions of dollars. What would 500000 That's nothing to you. That's a piece of bubble gum. Both of those are wrong. Mm-hmm. Investors will write checks because they believe you have inevitability. You've got to be able to demonstrate that. And the best way to demonstrate it is not chase the shiny objects. Make progress on the tasks that get to your end, uh, to your end zone. And that's when the, that's when the uh, investors will start looking at it. That's a mic drop, uh, Michael. That's a, it's a mic drop. You said when they see inevitability and I mean, I've never heard it put that way. And you're absolutely right. Why would I write a check to someone if I don't think they're going to be in it for the long haul, if I don't see that there is a a, a trajectory of, of success and profit and, and longevity? I that's just, a, that's just a brilliant point. What would be the deficiencies that you would say a serial entrepreneur or an entrepreneur needs to pay attention to before they even pursue capital? Well, so the great thing about capital is there's, it's like walking up a stairwell. You can start with your own money, and that's where you normally have to go. Start with your own money, do things with sweat equity, and mm-hmm. then you call your friends and family. They know you. They love you. Um, they will get you to the next level. Uh, then you go to a group of, of high net worth people called angel investors, and, and those guys have a lot less criteria than the venture capital. And so you raise a little bit of money with them in a seed round. And then you go to the VCs, and and by that time, you have success under your belt. You know, that's a, a great point. Go to the friends and family who love you, support you, believe in you, will encourage you, raise capital there, and then go to the next level. Um, but I, I would have to say that part of that, part of the, the, pop, the probability of, of getting the money, so to speak, is how well you are managing the one that you have been given early on, uh, starting with your own, and then obviously with those that are friends and family. I think discipline, having a disciplined approach to how you manage that money will allow you to be able to garner more or or not have any success with that at all. And and speaking about success, from you observing others' behavioral patterns, I mean, obviously you've worked with entrepreneurs, or you've been on boards. From studying them, 
I know from life, when you study other people and you study experiences, you learn what works and you learn what doesn't. But personally speaking, what lessons have you learned about what hasn't worked when you've gone out there uh, and, and really just put it all on the line in pursuit of something that you thought was going to be a good thing? Well, people are the number, number one reason why you succeed and potentially why you fail. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to know your personal strengths and weaknesses and the strengths and weaknesses of the people around you. One thing that I am not good at is assessing to a very deep level the caliber of the people around me. I can look at credentials, but I don't know what's going to happen when the bullets start fire, uh, flying. Mm-hmm. Are they going to run and hide? And mm-hmm. so I'd like to always have somebody around me who's good at that who's good at assessing character up front. And um, because I think when you start a company, you have to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you, Mm -hmm. and you have to listen to them when they give you advice. But how do you know that the people that you have around you are good? And that's a really tough one. And, And it's one that I typically like to rely on other people around me assessing. That's a brilliant point because being able to assess someone else's character is not a strength that all of us have. And sometimes if we don't give that responsibility to someone else, whether uh, because of pride or, or just, uh, just a lack of understanding the value of doing that, you could hire the wrong people or get around the wrong people that all, all ultimately can sabotage your progress. Uh, so I appreciate you sharing that with us. I, I want to talk about Vult, uh, of I'll say vulture capitalist. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's my, my subconscious mind is coming out now, see? Uh, yeah. But I do want to talk about venture capitalists. What, what are the key things that venture capitalists look for when assessing whether they're going to invest uh, in a particular idea or, or concept beyond seeing the inevitability of it? What are the other things that they're looking for? Well, so first of all, this is a huge topic. You and I could spend several shows on it, exactly. and I've written a book on it. And so, it, you know, my my book is called Broken Handoff, and I'm not saying that as an advertisement. I'm saying it because if you think about an entrepreneur has to be good enough to get through VC due diligence, and yet 70% of the companies that are funded by VCs fail. Why is that? Mm. And um, and so what you've opened is is a huge a, a door to a huge room. And I would suggest that you know if if we want to discuss that one, that may be another that may be another um, show. Well, you know what you've just uh, you just titled our next show when you and I are on. In fact, that's one of the things I'm going to talk to you about. Make sure that uh, before you and I wrap up that we have you back on the show because this is a major question. And I know that's one that that the answer is people would be interested in, in hearing. So let's shelve this for the next show. But I want to do talk. I want to talk about, about the, how, how the entrepreneur, how they can impress though early on, at least the attention of a, a venture capitalist to at least grab the attention of one. Because I know there's many out there that have ideas and they just don't even know how to package it enough to create intrigue. That's people. You've got to find good mentors who know how to navigate that space. Think about it this way. You're a young entrepreneur who's building his or her first or second company, and you're going to be talking to VCs who turn down 100 deals a week. You've got to have somebody who's experienced. And and for the young entrepreneurs, that's what I would tell them. Always find somebody who's been down the road several times who can advise you 
and 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 help you get prepared for a meeting with somebody who really knows their stuff. Surround yourself with the right people who can help you package your proposal and package your ideas. Brilliant advice. In our last minute here, I want to have some fun. You, I, I want to talk about the ground moon map. I, I've heard you talk about this moon map you're excited about, this this map that's going to be the size of the moon. It's here in Texas. And uh, the last I heard, it was it was almost in the final stages, somewhat, middle stages. Where are we, where are you, rather, with this moon map? Well, the it's going to be in Jacksboro, Texas, mm-hmm. and it's it's much more than just a moon map. It is a uh, an international destination. Fortune 1000 corporations will want to come there and do their uh, sales events and uh, executive management sessions um, because it is a place where there will be inspiration everywhere you look. Mm. And um, we are starting construction. I expect in the late November timeframe, we're still looking for some naming rights sponsors for parts of the facility. And, um, you know, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. We have Apollo astronauts who actually went to the moon who are part of our team. Wow. And um, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to get any <laughs> higher than that. Wow. You know, literally, I'm right. I mean, figuratively and literally. You're absolutely right. <laughs> you got the astronauts involved. I, I got to tell I'm just when I heard that I, I'm, I'm a big, big fan of astronomy. I mean, I'm teaching my son all sorts of things about astronomy. And the moon is one of those topics that we're discussing. So when I heard you talk about this and now as you're, you're evolving the, what the project will entail, I'm super excited about it. I hope that uh, when it becomes uh, available to, to for, for visits and, and for trips out there that we'll we're going to chat about that next time you're on the show, and hopefully we'll get an update on that as well. Uh, but, Michael, it's been awesome having you on. We are going to have another segment, uh, hopefully in the next six months, because there's so much to cover that we uh, just didn't have enough time to do that. But I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. Jay, you're a great man. It's a privilege to be on. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Folks, we're going to be right back after the break. If your business is struggling with time-consuming payroll processing, employee handbooks that are outdated, and overall employee relations issues, let Excellion Business and HR Solutions help you by becoming your HR outsourcing business partner. Excellion Business and HR Solutions offers over 30 years of HR experience in the public and private sector. We're your one-stop shop HR business partner. We're a certified minority woman-owned business enterprise. Find us at Excellion.com. Are you struggling to find great employees? Is it frustrating to find and keep top talent? Hi, my name is Glenn Richardson. I'm the founder and chief talent advisor of Rhodium Talent Advisors. We recognize that finding employees can feel like searching for a diamond in the rough, but we make hiring easy. Our four-step fit factor process is expertly designed to help you save time, save money, and hire better. Call us today at 972 515 2965 or free consultation and free hiring process review. Just what is a reverse mortgage? You hear all these ads with Tom Selleck talking about reverse mortgages, but they don't really explain what they are or how they work or how they might apply to your retirement. Can they really provide a credit line for the last remaining spouse to make up for the Social Security and pensions lost when the first spouse passes on? Tune in this Sunday at 1 p.m. on 570 KLIF to hear the Understanding Reverse Mortgages show. To learn more, call 214-415-3773 or aagshow.com. Prescription products require an online consultation. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Think you might have ED? Not sure? Well, we'd like to let you in on a little secret. ED 
is common. About 40% of men experience ED by age 40, but the solution is simple. Find it at 4hims.com. I didn't have to talk to a doctor in person. There was no copay, and the medication was shipped right to my door in discreet packaging. Hims took care of it fast and easy. Now our love life is better than ever. Get access to doctors online who can prescribe you FDA-approved ED medication if appropriate. The same active ingredient as name brands, but 90% cheaper. Skip the waiting rooms and pharmacy lines. Get a free medical consultation and rise to the occasion or your money back. Go to 4 slash joy to get your first visit free. No copay required. The only way to get this special offer is to go to 4 slash joy. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash J-O-Y. KLIF can be heard on the FM. If you have a newer vehicle, go to KLIF dot com slash FM to learn how. This is Real News and Information 570. KLIF. KLIF dot com. Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. I'm excited about our next guest who's actually in here in the studio. I met Gerald Ibarra not too long ago, and I was so impressed with his vision and what he's doing for businesses as part of his consulting. Not only his uh, one of his uh, best-selling books, Good Decisions, Better Outcomes, and I say one of his because I know there's one right around the corner too. So we're going to have a chance to chat a little about that. But I think what Gerard brings to the table in terms of helping companies recognize their flaws in their decision-making process is so important if you're going to thrive. So I wanted him on the show today. Gerard, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for that introduction there. All right. Well, Gerard, before we dive into all the good things that you've got to to share with our audience, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm a a consultant, author, speaker, and entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. and I pretty much uh, teach companies how to make better decisions when they're faced with difficult ones and made even more complex by uh, competing departments to converge on one for the betterment of the company. So I also have about uh, 30 plus years of professional experience, was the CEO of Jaguar Logistics, and I also taught graduate courses at Southern Methodist University in Logistics Engineering and Supply Chain Management at University of Dallas. Wow. So you come with a lot of credentials, a lot of information, a lot of knowledge. We're going to pick that apart. But I'm, I'm curious, though, if you're a Ph.D. In, in logistics systems engineering, and since most of your background is in, log- in logistics, uh, are you finding that these experiences are helpful now as you're developing this new practice? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good question. So with my background in my education, systems engineering focused on logistics, I look at things from a Overall, overall large perspective, which mm-hmm. is really good. And then my background in logistics, because I worked for UPS for 10 plus years, I worked in the industrial engineering department. And most of what we did there was operational measurement. You know, how can we make things more efficient? So when I go to an organization, you know, I've got that operational background, the efficiency background, plus the educations and systems thinking, and I'm able to help them just a little bit better than I thought had I not had this education or background. Okay, excellent. Now, I'm curious then, you, you're very successful as a professor, very successful in your corporate life, and all of a sudden you decide to go independent. You know, and I, I know that for a lot of folks, when, when they're in a place where it's comfortable, it's consistent, it's predictable, like you were, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you probably could have picked where you wanted to go next in a, in a corporate setting. You decided to, to leave that, sort of disrupt yourself in yes. a way, and, and then launch your own practice. What inspired you to do that? So 
Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to do my own business. Lemonade stand was the first thing that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And then as I went through high school and college, I still had that entrepreneurship in the background. And finally, about uh, eight years into UPS, I did something on the side that went uh, okay. But ever since then, I just, I guess what I yearn for is to be able to create a business, create value, help individuals, whether in business or in their life. So that drives me to do what I'm doing. And plus, I like I love chaos too. So. <laughs> <laughs> you love chaos, but yeah, there's plenty right. of chaos in the entrepreneurial world sometimes. Yes, serious, especially when you are just launching yes uh, an entrepreneurial effort. But you know, most people sometimes uh, are inspired by necessity, or they're inspired by just a, a boredom. Right? They they've reached their their plateau and they want to do something different. Uh, and obviously, with your success. Whether or not you've reached a plateau, you've you've launched something that's going to help companies in their decision-making process. So I want to talk about that because you could have gone anywhere. Why the decision-making process as one of the areas that you are consulting in and uh, where do you find companies are failing? So as far as the decision-making process, I learned this framework when I was in college working on my master's and I thought this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I used it at UPS and when I went to other companies. And then I started realizing that, you know, this should be something that's out there and it should be something that more and more people and businesses should use. So what I ended up doing is after years of contemplating about writing a book, I wrote a book on the decision-making process. Mm -hmm. And my why for the whole thing was to just get people to think critically, get them to think about why am I making these decisions, whether it's personal or in business, really step back and see that. And some of the uh, things that I see that are not all together with an organization when it comes to the decision-making process, mm-hmm. uh, one is uh, they don't have sight of the opportunity cost. They, they don't measure it for whatever reasons. And it's hard to measure. Uh, the other one would be uh, the psychological traps. Uh, we have traps when we're in business, kind of like the status quo trap. You know, everything is working well. Why fix it? Well, you could be losing a lot of money on the side if you don't go look at that. The other thing is systems thinking. Um, organizations might have a somewhat of an understanding of systems thinking, but overall it's a very uh, intricate uh, field of, uh, of engineering. Mm-hmm. So they fell on those ends. And uh, also they have no exit strategy. You know, what am I going to do after we purchase the company or we move or we contract with this vendor? And the one that really gets me the most is when they're going to make a decision, they say, okay, they being the executive team, let's all get together, order pizza, and stay in this room until we make a decision. Well, you know, that might be okay if it's for something that's small, but, you know, if you're looking at something that's strategic, mm-hmm. it could affect your company in the short term and long term as well. So those are the things that I see that go on out in the world with uh, businesses. Those are major flaws. Yes, they they certainly are. Those, I mean, every area that you just mentioned, as as I was listening, every area on its own can cripple the thriving ability of a company. Yes, let alone having four or five. I I, I want to piggyback on the second one you mentioned, which is the psychological traps. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that, and then I want to ask you the follow up question, uh, which I think will really enlighten. Uh, our listeners, and hopefully our business owners that are listening Certainly. as to why you're someone they need to seek. But let's talk about those psychological traps. What did you mean by that? So there's uh, eight traps, uh, eight decision traps that uh, Hammond, Kenny, and Raffia, the, who are um, monsters in the decision-making world, and they talk about these eight traps, and I'll just hit a 
couple of them here. One was already the status quo trap. If you're in an organization in a business, and I've heard this a lot when I was in Fortune 500 companies, well, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Well, you could be leaving a lot of money on the uh, on the space there because you say, okay, I've got other fires to put out, but you may be leaving millions and millions of dollars on the on the table because you're not looking at something and trying to improve the process. The other one is, uh, which is, I guess, uh, another big one is the uh, anchoring trap. You know, which means here's something that I say that gets you to start thinking about it, whether intentionally or not. So a good example would be if the CEO is thinking, you know, it's time for us to expand and we need to open up a new uh, location or move our headquarters. Mm-hmm. He or she might come out uh, in their meeting and say, you know, it's time for us to do this based on things that I've seen in the, the financial person. So I'm kind of thinking Dallas would be a great place, but I don't want you guys to, you know, think about Dallas. I want you to go out there and think what's best for yourself. Well, right there, that's a fault. Mm. He just... He or she just uh, primed these individuals. Well, I know he or she didn't say Dallas, but now it's stuck in the back of my mind. So I may be forcing something that I shouldn't be forcing. Yeah, you've sort of implanted uh, a suggestion that did not need to be there. Exactly. Because it closes off looking at other options. Yes, it does. And, And no matter how a personality you are, which I am, you can't sit there and say that that did not affect me. It, it does. Right, right. It does. Absolutely. It does. No Absolutely. matter what you say to yourself. Unless, of course, you're autistic right. and you have no emotions, then it doesn't matter, I guess. No, you're absolutely right. And I, that's why I was very interested the minute you mentioned psychology, psychological traps, because that's my background. So I was interested in that. But with all of these problems, these flaws in decision-making process, then why is it that many companies fail to even recognize any of them? So a lot of it comes from uh, lack of training. So, mm. and some of it is maybe time as well. Opportunity costs. Who's okay. out there measuring that? Okay. How much time we spend today trying to make this decision and where can we've used this time? They don't do that. Uh, the psychological traps, they don't have a true comprehension of what they mean. And I'm sure you know that based mm-hmm. on your background. Mm-hmm. Uh, systems thinking, uh, they don't understand how widespread this concept is. It's a PhD in systems engineering means that I went through quite a bit of engineering and background to learn what this means. So, you know, magazine reading isn't just enough to get to you there. And uh, the other one's the exit strategy. You know, for exit strategy, no one's thinking about uh, really the next year, two, five, 10, or 20 years. So the companies just fail to do that. They're just thinking about today and tomorrow. How does this help my business today, tomorrow? And forget about what they do at the end when there is nothing else left. One of the things I'd like for you to share with us is... Where have you seen the lack of understanding this and the implementation of good decision-making process actually hurt a company where it became irreversible? Is there an example you can share? Yes. Yeah, so, so this is so. I went to this uh, event and I met this individual and we were talking about what I do and she said, you know, I need to get you in uh, in front of the executive vice president. You know, because based on what I know and what you're doing, I think you might be able to help them. So I met with the EVP of this institution, and he had the foresight enough to recognize that he doesn't have a process for making decisions. But every year, what they have to do is they have to disperse something like 30 plus million dollars to three departments. And it always turns into a, no, it's for me, it's for me, it's for me. And everybody's fighting against that. So when I met with the individual and I went through the process, he was so he says, this is exactly what I need because every year I come to these problems. I don't know what to do. So he recognized that he had that. 
So he told me, next time we have a meeting, I'd like to bring you in and talk with these VPs and go through the process. So what I was able to do is go through the systems engineering process on how to make decisions. And in the end, we were able to disperse that money with everybody feeling great about the decision and no one feeling left out. All done within an afternoon. Wow. So it, it, there is, there's something to be said about having the right person at the right time. Yes. Bring the right information, and that's why you're here on the show. I want to chat a little bit about your book, Good Decisions, Better Outcomes. What inspired you to write this book? So it goes back to when I was in college, and I went through that process, and I just thought that everybody should be doing this. And as I started writing the book, it evolved even more. Even before I wrote the book, I really want, in all honesty, for people to think critically, mm. not to be told by other people, media, whatever the case may be, that this is how you need to think. You need to think for yourself and go out there and do the research. I'm not talking about simple decisions like, you know, what water am I going to get or pizza. I'm talking about those critical decisions, those mm-hmm. that take time to make. Mm-hmm. So that was my inspiration to get the people to think critically. And, and my book hopefully does that for them. Who should be reading this book? Not every book is for everybody, no. right? Who would benefit from reading this book? individuals who have to make some tough decisions, such as do they move their family to Europe and take this new job? Do they purchase this house? Or sole decision makers of a company, mm-hmm. not not everybody where you're getting a team together, or business owners, people okay. who have the ultimate decision-making authority. Okay. And that book could be found on Amazon? Yes, on Amazon. They can find it on Amazon. It's out there, and uh, certainly it's available for purchase. Okay. And our last minute, uh, Gerard, this has been fascinating. Can you give us one takeaway where an individual or a company uh, can apply their decision-making process in such a way that it becomes incredibly beneficial and completely changes the trajectory of that company or that individual's life? Very simple exit strategy. I mentioned that Mm -hmm. earlier. They need to think about what happens after I make this purchase or this decision. What happens 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road? You can't predict that far, but you need to be thinking about that. Otherwise, when the time comes up, you're like, wow, why didn't I think about this? Then that's huge. So what you're saying is that even if someone buys a company or opens up a new business or whatever, that within the first few months, yes, they should start considering what's my exit strategy? Before they purchase the company, for example, if you have uh, someone who wants to purchase this uh, company, okay, once you purchase it, how long do you want to keep it? What do you want to do in the end? Do you want to grow it? Do you want to sell it? Do you want to uh, give it to your family? You've got to be thinking about that because when you get to that point, then things have changed and you're going to spend a lot of time in saying, I should have done A, B, and C. That's interesting. I never would have thought about that. I'll be honest with you. Opening up a business, the last thing I would be thinking about is the exit strategy. Yeah. Uh, that's brilliant. Gerard, where can people learn more about you? So they can learn more about me at uh, my website at GerardIbarra.com. I've got material there. And if they want to reach out to me, they could go there and uh, send me a request to meet. Well, Gerard, we appreciate you being on the show. Good luck with your 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 organization and your consulting work. And I encourage people to go out and buy the book. Folks, Thank you so much. Folks, we're going to be right back. After the break. Does your company have a decision-making process that is repeatable, reliable, and consistent? Hello, my name is Gerard Ibarra. I'm a consultant, author, and speaker. I teach companies how to make better decisions. With my process, companies become more efficient, get buy-in from the stakeholders, keeps their emotions at bay, and make better decisions for the overall benefit of the company. Contact me today at G-E-R-A-R-D-I-B-A-R-R-A.com, GerardIbarra.com, to learn more and receive a free free 30-minute consultation. 
Have you ever hired the wrong person? Did the resume give you the impression they would be a good fit because of their past accomplishments? I'm Cody Robinson, founder of Robinson Interview Consultants. We help employers reduce turnover, thus saving time and money through the screening and interview process. Utilizing proper question formulation and response interpretation, we identify candidates whose character and behaviors align with your vision, values, and culture. Check us out at interviewexperts.com for a complimentary review of your hiring practices. That's interviewexperts.com. Susan, it's so great to finally be able to get together again. Oh, it sure is. And I really appreciate you picking up the bill. I'm happy to. I've got the extra cash. Since we've all been driving so much more again, I've been using GetUpside, the free gas app that pays you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get paid cash when you buy gas with the GetUpside app? Yes, up to 25 cents a gallon. Cash back every time I buy gas. Does that actually add up to anything? Some months I make 200 to 300 bucks. <laughs> Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the free GetUpside app now. Download the free GetUpside app now in the App Store or Google Play to save up to 25 cents a gallon when you buy gas. Use promo code GALLON for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's up to 50 cents a gallon on your next fill-up. You can cash out anytime to PayPal or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code GALLON for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GALLON. New and information KLIF Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie Welcome back everyone to the Jay Mamie Talk Show I'm looking forward to our next guest because thriving requires that you hire the right people if you are an organization, a company, a business. And I know that part of uh, hiring the right person requires you to align yourself with the right resources and the right people that can help you identify the right people. So Cody Robeson is the founder and CEO of Robeson Interview Consultants. He's with us today to talk about how do you thrive as a company in hiring the right people. Cody, welcome to the show. Hey, Jay. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Cody, before we dive into the wisdom that you're going to share, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I was uh, born and raised in Texas, um, moved off for school, but made my way back home. Um, And then I've worked in the fraud investigations arena for the past 16 years. Um, You know, the root of the training experience, passion that I've had over the past 16 years has been in in the interviewing piece. Okay. Um, so that's really the, the passion and what I've really uh, been the root of what I've done this time. So. Excellent. So you've got the experience and the creds to really be a subject matter expert in the field and the business that you're uh, pursuing now uh, with Robeson Interview Consultants. But what inspired you to start that? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, back in 14, I went back to school, got my MBA um, and a lot of my self-study during that time was on generational diversity, um, you know, making sure you have the right people in the organization. Mm-hmm. So, and when I say generational diversity, I'm referring to uh, the way you effectively motivate or communicate a, a boomer versus a millennial. Mm. Um, as we know, that can be de- very different. Um, so I, you know, after I finished the program, I started looking for ways to, you know, further my knowledge, specialize in the interviewing piece. Um, and so I started looking at, you know, how can I use this skill set I have and use it to solve a, a problem in the workplace? Um, uh, about halfway through that, um, process, I shifted and started focusing on what more so is the problem and how can I apply my skill set to that? So found a problem or an opportunity depending upon your perspective, Mm -hmm. um, and started working towards, um, figuring out how to use my skill set to solve that. So, you know, you look, uh, there's a lot of stats out there, but you know, a lot will say, you know, around 50% of hiring managers don't have any training in the interviewing piece. Mm. And so, you know, maybe part of their role, 
Um, you know, they, they hire some or they interview some, but it's not their full job. So they haven't, may not have had a lot of training experience in that piece. So it's, it's walking in, assisting those folks at that piece. So, you know, um, the, the cost to, to hire and to, to rehire, retrain, you know, it's you know, a lot of time, a lot of money, mm-hmm. um, loss of productivity, loss of morale, loss of credibility with clients. So there's a lot of other costs that are associated if you don't get it right the first time. So it's, it's trying to be as proactive as possible ensuring that you're, you're getting the right person uh, in the boat the first time around. Um, you know, we, we are in a society that's, that's so, uh, you know, there's a lot of focus on past accomplishments. I'm kind of coming at a different approach, more so looking at what, who they are than what they've done. Um, so the kind of that principle of become great and you'll do great versus do great and become great. You know, one of the things you mentioned that I didn't think about was a lot of hiring managers and interview, uh, those who do interviews, interviewers, They've never been trained on how to give an effective interview themselves, right? And a company says to a manager, hey, interview that guy or that gal. And the guy grabs a resume and or the gal grabs a resume and starts to read the resume and ask a couple of basic questions. But they're not really trained to give a thorough, thought-provoking, critical interview of another person. That's brilliant. But what is the difference between a talent acquisition specialist, because we've had them on the show prior, and an interview consultant? Is there a difference in what is an interview consultant? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, the value that I add, uh, Jay, is in the question formulation and response interpretation. You know, um, you have some talent acquisition folks that may work in a specific industry or specific specific field, and they're connecting folks. And so my specialty is not so much in that specific industry. I work in all industries because, mm-hmm. again, I'm looking more at who they are than what they've done. And Got so, it. so again, that value is that question formulation, knowing what to ask, how to ask, when to ask, why to ask it. And then the other side of the coin you have to know is the response interpretation, being able to effectively interpret mm. responses and reactions from that applicant. You know, you want to ensure they're not misrepresenting themselves or their abilities. And if you know what questions to ask, and how to interpret those responses and reactions up front versus figuring it out six months after you've already hired them, then again, you've got to rehire, retrain all those costs. And so, so yeah, it's, it's a proactive effort. And so what the, the idea I'm really selling is a change in mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over expecting a different result. So maybe you've got a problem with employee turnover. You've tried hiring the same way over and over here. Here, let's try a different approach, you know, and, and see how this works for you. I, I love that. I got to tell you something, Cody. I love that. It's not about what they've done alone in assessing someone as a, as a person that could be a value add to your company, but who they are. And that's where the magic happens, right? Because yeah, anyone can come up with a, anyone can type up a resume. And I've seen that too, but I've hired people in the past. But boy, when they get inside and they start working with the, with the, with the others, you really find out who that person really is. And that's the part that most companies don't assess well. I, I'd have to agree with you. So what are the challenges that exist in a company's pursuit then of, of hiring right the first time? Sure. So again, it's, it's being as proactive as possible, right? So it's making sure you have the right hiring practices in place. So it's reviewing those hiring practices to say, how are we doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, if we have an employee turnover problem, let's look at the foundation. Let's look at the root. Let's start it. How are we identifying folks? Right. And then, how are, you know, once we identify these folks, what methods are we using to identify them? What methods are we using to screen them? What methods are we using to interview them? So, you know, if you look at this, you know, Harvard Business Review, right, there's a lot of good information that comes from there. Mm-hmm. You know, they say approximately 80 percent of employee turnover is due to bad hiring decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you have those bad hiring decisions? Maybe you don't have the right hiring practices or you maybe you don't have someone in place who's been effectively trained on how to interview. So so it's all it's being proactive, you know, and, and the other side of that is is really taking the time in app with applicants to make sure they're really understanding that role, the expectations, how success is defined, making sure, you know, are they looking for a job or an opportunity, right? That's mm. very different. So mm. it's asking a lot of questions. Mm. You know, and Jay, you you change mm. one word in a question 
and it's suddenly a statement, right? Or the way you deliver that question, the tone pitch can change how it's received. So it's, again, it's, it's like so many things, it's being proactive and really looking, you know, how are we doing this process? Cody, I love that. That's a mic drop right there. In every segment, there's a mic drop. And the mic drop was when you just said, is this person looking for a job or an opportunity? And boy, that mindset with, uh, with whichever one they're looking for will determine their performance. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to awesome. dictate how they go into that situation, how they approach it. Awesome. So how are you addressing these challenges? Sure. So again, you know, I've, I've said it a couple of times, but it's all about being proactive, right? And so I'm, I'm going in, I'm, I'm trying to sell again the idea of, hey, is what you've done not worked? Let's look at this. So you know, it kind of depends. If I'm working with a small business owner, you know, there weren't a lot of hats, right? They're hiring, but they're also running a business. They're doing sales. So I'm sitting down with them from A to Z. I'm asking them a lot of questions, you know, make, making sure they know what they're looking for in individuals, because a lot of times they may not know exactly because they haven't asked themselves the right questions. Mm-hmm. So once you really identify what you're looking for, then you can make a more effective, create a more effective job posting, right? Which is going to in turn attract less pool of applicants, which on the back end is going to save you time because you're going to have less to go through, less to screen. So it's, it's you know, with the, with the small business owners, it's like that. With the large organizations, there may be some training involved coming mm-hmm. in and look reviewing their hiring practices or training hiring managers or HR folks who maybe, you know, the, the interview piece isn't a piece that they've had training in. And, and it's a niche, right? It's just one piece of the whole hiring process. So, but if you don't have the interview piece right, the chance for long-term success, you know, is, is limited. And so what I'm doing is not, it's not guaranteed, Jay. It's mm-hmm. it's a chance it's to, to minimize the risk, right? To put the odds in your favor that, hey, let's, let's do what we can to try to be, you know, get everything we need. And so people, you know, people change. We go through different seasons. We have, you know, circumstances change. So unfortunately, there's always going to be turnover, but it's what can we do to, to put the odds in our favor to hire right the first time. You know, I got to tell you, that's the second mic drop there. <laughs> it's, it's not, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're honest in your answer, Cody, because that's something that employers and potential clients, right, that are listening to the show may very well be, that could be very well why they reach out to you because the level of honesty. You said uh, it's not a guarantee. It's a way to reduce or mitigate the risk. Yes. And that's a home run. I appreciate you responding that way. I want to talk about culture fit because now you find someone who on, on paper looks great. Character-wise, they look like they are the right mindset for the job, but do they fit in culturally with the environment that exists when they walk in? How can a company make sure that a candidate is a culture fit beyond the resume and beyond the assessments? Sure. You know, Jay, um, you know, the model I follow is, is, you know, I've got it on my website. It's called a stool of success and it's a three leg, three legged stool. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have all three of these legs, a chance for long-term success is pretty limited. One of those is culture fit. One of those is alignment with the manager, right? You want to be, you want to ensure you're in alignment and you're thinking with that manager. Mm-hmm. You know, you maybe you both want to, want to feed the hungry. One of you give, gives a guy a fish, one teaches a guy to fish. Mm. So you have some different ideas, which is good, but mm-hmm. you're in alignment in your vision and your values. Mm-hmm. So the other organization is you're either teachable or you have a skill set. So if you don't have all three of those, it's a piece. So going back to your piece on the culture, it, that's huge, right? And mm-hmm. culture has become a lot more important. There's been a lot more um, emphasis on culture now you know, in the last 10, 15 years right. than ever. Right. Yeah. And so especially that the piece last is, three years. Yeah. yeah. That, that, yeah. And especially now with virtual and so many things changing in the workplace. So that piece is very crucial. So, you know, there's a lot of questions you can ask again, it's beyond the resume and, and I'll mm-hmm. dive into that, you know, but it's, it's asking the right questions again. It's right. Asking those questions and be able to interpret the answers. So how do they perform? What do they, how do they interact with others? Do they prefer to work alone or in a team environment? 
you know, are they introvert? Are they extrovert? So there's a lot of different questions in the way you phrase these questions again, but then that's just the half of it is how are they responding and reacting to these questions? You may be questions you ask to put a little anxiety on to see how they're going to, you know, respond or react in that situation. So, um, you know, some organizations will do, you know, test phases, if you will, where they'll come in and they'll have interactions with other employees or, you know, visit with those folks to see, you know, how they like the culture, what the culture, you know, they get, you know, tour the organization. Now, some of those things have changed with in the last year and a half, right? Mm -hmm. More virtual hiring and those things. Um, so there's, there's different ways you can put practices in place to try to, you know, circumvent that to make sure they are fitting that culture as well. Excellent. So Cody, in our last minute, what would be the takeaway you want to leave our listeners with? Sure. Jay, uh, I, you know, I'd really like to speak to the part about resumes. And, and I spoke earlier about looking more at who people are than what they've done. And the problem with resumes that we see is it's it's just based on our past accomplishments, right? It's words, it's not action. And so, you know, as people, we, we form opinions. We can't keep from forming those opinions. We can choose whether or not we express opinions, but we can't keep from forming them. So when we see a resume or LinkedIn before we interview someone, we've got an expectation and opinion formed. So mm. what I do is, is I, when I'm working with my clients, when they, when I bring them a candidate, the only prior they knowledge they know is that they meet all of that employer employer's requirements. Mm. They haven't seen their resume. They haven't seen their LinkedIn. It's the beauty of an elevator pitch. Nice. They're forming that first impression off that interaction they have after that, after the interview, then I give them everything. I give them the application resume, all that, then they can see all that. But it's, it's screening. It's taking that out. And so I encourage folks, you know, if you hire internally and handle that process yourself, even if you are, are doing the hiring, you know, have someone else review the resumes, review that piece, and then just let them send you that person and visit with them first. Get that impression formed off your face-to-face -face, and then go back and review all those, that paperwork and documentation later. Brilliant advice. Brilliant. Cody, that's why you're the subject matter expert in this field. And we appreciate you being on the show. Where can people find you? Yeah, so uh, they can reach out. My interview, uh, my website is um, a Robinson Interview Consultants, but the website is Interview Experts, and that's interviewxperts.com. Um, they can reach out, drop me a line. Happy to set up a call, um, grab coffee, um, do a virtual meeting, whatever works best. All right. Cody, we appreciate you being on the show. Folks, that wraps up another episode of the Hour of Thrive Time here on the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Have a thriving week. We'll see you next Sunday.